Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to Be Curious. And as you've been following, we have been talking a lot about the issues of the moment. We've been talking about the pandemic and the need for all of us to adapt to change. We've been talking about gender parity, and we've been talking about racial inequity and the Black Lives Matter movement on different episodes over the past number of weeks. Today's episode is very timely to the moment as well, and we are talking about the college-going experience. As the parent of a college student, I know that it is forefront of my mind right now as my student is packing her bags to go back to a college campus in the middle of a global pandemic, and just curious about what that's going to bring. And so today's episode is a total departure from what we normally do in two respects. The first is that we are talking with a panel of students about their experience, and the second is that I'm not going to be hosting this episode, but I am passing the baton in this episode to our intern, Courage to be Curious intern, Amelia Winger, who is absolutely amazing. If you've been listening, she's been guesting on some of the prior episodes. She's a student, a rising junior at Temple University, and she majors both in political science and in journalism. And she has been podcasting in different ways for a while. She's been thinking a lot about the kinds of issues that are on college students' minds as they go back to campus. And so I am passing this baton today over to Amelia to take it, take it over and lead us through this amazing conversation with college students about what's it going to be like to navigate this going back to school. Hi everyone, my name is Amelia, like Adina said, and I'm really excited to be here today. I think over the past month we've done our best as we can at talking about what change making means and what it means to be advocates for equity in our communities. And I wanted to bring this today to the new generation of change makers as we're all preparing in college right now to go forth into the world and do what we can to promote equity in this current moment. And I think right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's just completely exposed all the inequities embedded in our society. So I really wanted to talk with college students to see how this problem has presented such a multifaceted spectrum of challenges that we all need to overcome right now. So I wanna get into introducing these people because they're all amazing in their own ways and they bring a really unique perspective to the table right now. So Liz, I'm gonna kick it over to you first. Do you wanna introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so as Amelia just said, my name is Liz. Um, I'm a rising junior at a college called Washington College on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, it's pretty small. Uh, I major in economics and humanities with minors in math and public health. Uh, I'm originally from Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Philadelphia. Um, and while I, I go to Washington College this, this semester, I will be at home doing Washington College things. Amy, do you want to go next? Uh, so my name is Amy. Like Amelia, I am a rising junior at Temple University, and I'm studying geography and urban studies in Spanish. Um, I'm originally from the Boston area, and this semester I'll be doing a hybrid system of classes, although only one of my classes is actually in person. And Ramadan, do you want to round it out? Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, my name is Ramadan. I'm from Cairo, Egypt. I study at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm a rising junior, and I study education, psychology, and computer science, and I'll be doing a hybrid model with only two of my classes being online next semester. 
So when we were preparing for this episode, we actually issued out a survey to college students across the nation to try to talk and really gauge what exactly the problems that we're facing as a generation are right now. Because I think so often what's happened in how college students are represented throughout the COVID-19 pandemic is that people are boiling us down to one single voice facing one singular problem. And that's not really representative of who we are and what we're going through. So I wanted to specifically talk with you guys after this survey because all of your answers really excited me because they captured just how diverse this problem is and how many little intricacies are wrapped up inside of it. And so I wanted to start off today by really just jumping into the deep end of everything and creating a platform for us to break down some of the misconceptions that have been floating around out there. So to start things off, I wanted to ask, what do you guys think that most people don't understand about what college students are going through right now? Liz, do you want to start with us? Sure. Um, As you were mentioning kind of in your intro, I think that honestly the biggest thing is just that college students, even though it's a natural group, it doesn't mean that that whole group has the same experience. And like I said, this is touching on many of the themes that you just discussed, but having a natural group makes it pretty easy to overlook the nuance of every individual experience. Um, And while we're all seeing similar decisions come out from our colleges due to the same root cause, obviously, of the virus, that's that's really where the grouping ends. Um, We're all individuals. We're all facing, like you said, unique challenges. And I think that the whole we're all in this together narrative can be made into a negative when it's used to falsely collectivize uh, or equate or compare experiences. So it's just important to keep in mind that individualism is just as important in times of struggle as it is in anything else uh, and just validating like every experience equally. Amy, do you want to go next? Um, I definitely agree with that. I think that the individual experience is really important to focus on, especially because a college is such a, has such a collectivist culture. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about like, there's a lot of stress that we're under right now. I think that a lot of Professors, faculty, administration especially, have been using language that implies we've been recharging during this entire time, but that is obviously not the case. Um, A lot of people have been working or still have to work during the pandemic. A lot of people don't have ideal living situations, whether it's, you know, an in-person class or online classes. Um, There's just kind of a lot of unrealistic expectations that are being placed on us right now, and I'm concerned that professors will do what they did back in March, which is assign a lot of work, assuming that we have basically nothing better to do, even though there are a lot of individual cases in which that is not the situation. And Amy, you've been working throughout the pandemic too. So how has that affected your college experience with trying to balance a job in the middle of a pandemic with your coursework? It has been a little bit difficult because like I said, um, originally when the pandemic started, a lot of my professors had a little bit of a panic mode and started assigning a lot more work than was expected, while at the same time, my boss had scheduled me to be working full time as soon as I came back home. Um, So at first, it was a little bit difficult to balance it all. But at the same time, it was kind of rewarding to be able to work and still be able to experience like being around people around my age who were going through the same thing. So I knew that I wasn't at least alone in the situation. Um, But yeah, at least I'm not working in the semester, the coming semester, but it was definitely difficult in the beginning. 
And Ramadan, I want to give you a chance to answer this question too. So what do you think is the biggest misconception floating around out there about what college students are experiencing right now? I think my answer is just to follow up to Amy's answer. I, I think a lot of college professors and university administrators in general cannot yet comprehend how deeply impact, impactful the pandemic has been for a lot of students. And so I've, I've seen a lot of students who for like a month or two after the shutdown could not find a place to live and like had to move places each couple of weeks. And then they were also asked for like with these unrealistic expectations have to do a lot of work, have to attend all the classes. So yeah, so definitely that a lot of uh, response, like supposedly responsible people uh, and university administration did not really realize how deeply impactful that would be for a lot of students, uh, especially low-income students and international students. And how did that affect you personally, if you don't mind me asking? For sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm an international student and I'm a low-income student too. So for as, a, as an international student, I received an email from WashU on Thursday telling me to leave campus on Sunday, right? I think it was only three or four days that I had to just like pack everything and go back home. And I couldn't even comprehend how it was like, oh, like just go home. And I didn't really have a place to go because first of all, Egypt has already closed off its flights. So I couldn't go back. And then I, I don't really have an off-campus housing and I just, <laughs> I can't even live anywhere else and I didn't have any prior arrangements. Um, so that, that was a part of it. Um, uh, then after the four days has passed, I did not move from my room and I did not move out from campus. And they emailed me saying, you're one of the students with exceptional circumstances. We're going to let you stay, right? But then it's the, the problem of like uh, how many students went through these four days not knowing how their life is going to turn out for the next couple of months. And then after these four days, you go through the process of like, oh, like you don't really have enough money to go buy because now that, so I'm on, I'm on financial aid. And now that my campus housing is not there, uh, now, now that campus services are not there. So like I can't get food for like a month, a month or so. I have to buy my own things and my own groceries. And that costs a lot of money. And for someone who is a college student who just lost their jobs and who, uh, our low-income students and having to go through all of that in the first place, it was really, really hard to try to manage yourself. And even though universities did provide help, some form of help for a lot of students who are from low-income uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, I think the pressure, uh, the, the, the pressure and the anxiety that a lot of students experienced through that month and month and a half right after the shutdown was really, uh, hard i don't know it was really unbearable and yeah so and then you also had to cope with uh the disruptive pattern of life so you're only uh you you don't have a structure you don't meet people you don't go out and you have to stay in your room because if you don't go if you go out you're gonna you have a chance of catching the virus so yeah it's a lot of different things at once and then you're disrupted and you don't know what to do so yeah you just shut down I've seen a lot of people and I've personally been in this stage just like shutting down and staying in my room and not doing anything. So yeah. 
I think that's something I really noticed in our survey results, too, is that a lot of people said that the mental health implications of the pandemic was something that was both unexpected and one of the worst consequences of it, of just being completely cut off from the campus communities that we've all established for ourselves. So I'm curious for you specifically, Ramadan, how has quarantining away from your family in Egypt impacted your sense of self and your just mental health in general? I don't know how it has impacted my sense of self, but I would say uh, my mental health was pretty um, damaged because of the, I think most of it is the disruption of my daily structure, right? So you didn't have a structure built in your day. So I wake up and I don't have anything in mind to do. And my online classes, I don't have to attend them. So I just don't. And then I don't have any people to meet. So I don't meet anyone. And I know, so I have, I have asthma. So if I go out and then that's a huge chance of catching the virus, which is risky. So I don't go out. So yeah, so just being locked up in my room for like almost a month, only going out to buy groceries, I think come back. That was uh, really, really hurtful when it came to mental health uh, and, and staying well during that period. Uh, I would say a huge part of it was uh, breaking under pressure. So you have a lot of pressure going on, like we said last time. So academic pressure, uh, financial pressure, uh, personal pressure from not, on like not being able to meet people and not being able to be with their family. And then all of that just breaks you and you, this like I shut down for like a couple of weeks. I just didn't do anything. And I think this, this is a common experience that a lot of college students has been through that you you really are not used to this amount of pressure being thrown at you at once. And it's not just like uh, a lot of things that you need to do uh, that gra- that has been gradually increasing for a large period of time. No, it's more like, oh, like now you're doing X, now you're doing million X squared. So yeah. And then Amy and Liz, and bringing this back to you too, I think one other thing I noticed in the survey based on what Ramadan said is that a lot of other college students have been on the other side of the spectrum where they've gone home for five months or so now to quarantine with their families instead of living on campus. And that's the longest that a lot of us have been home since high school. And it's something that people people kept throwing around the term regression and this idea that they were like reverting back to their high school self. And so I was curious about what you guys think of that and how quarantining has affected your sense of identity and your individualism and mental health during this time too. Amy, do you want to take over? Yeah, being at home has definitely been a little bit difficult. There have been tough moments for me, like you were saying, regressing into this idea of being my high school self, you know, living in my high school room, um, working a high school job, being back in my hometown. Um, It's kind of made me feel like I'm 17 again. Um, which has definitely created tensions with my sister, who is actually 17, and then also with my parents, who have definitely treated me like I'm back in high school again, and I think sometimes forget that I'm an adult and I have a lot of autonomy when I'm at school, um, because I'm far enough away that I don't get to see them very often. Um, And I've realized, you know, there are a lot of little things that I really value about my autonomy when I'm at school that I've been missing a lot, like very small things that I didn't even realize I would miss, like going grocery shopping or like watching a movie with my roommates that I know that my family wouldn't enjoy. Um, So when I'm home, it's kind of tough to find those spaces where I feel truly independent. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how my experience has been. There have been some good moments, of course, like I love my family, but there have also been those difficult times as well. 
Yeah, I definitely relate. Um, I relate to a lot of that. I think that, I mean, a lot of my identity is really based on my friends. Like I'm a very, very social person. A lot of the ways that I define myself and my interests are in relation to the people that I surround myself with. Um, and I'm an only child, so I now surround myself with no one my age or like close to my age. Um, and especially in the early months of the pandemic when like nothing was open, you really couldn't go out or do anything. Um, it was very hard to just like truly like be alone in my room for most of the time. And it really felt like, I don't know, I guess I had just kind of disappeared in like a lot of ways. And I, I think I reconciled with that as time went on and now that I'm facing like the entire fall being here and then honestly I'm also trying to prepare for the spring also being the same situation so that would be a full year of being at home um but finding ways to be autonomous in terms of like physical activity or I've redesigned my room I guess to control my space more things like that that maybe are not the biggest like objective changes but are things that mean a lot to me uh, like personally, I suppose. And then just trying to understand that like virtual connection can still exist and it can still be meaningful. And I've gotten better at, at making, making virtual connections meaningful, I suppose. So it's been an upward trend, but it, it has been tough, I think, for everyone. I definitely can relate to that. And I think part of the reason, one of the things that exacerbates it the most is that there's this, definitely in the American media, there's such a picturesque version of what the traditional college experience should look like. And I think we all know it from just watching movies, reading books, that it's like college needs to be this perfect social thing with like eating popcorn in your dorm at midnight and like going out to parties. And like, there's definitely a culture associated with it. And it's something that we just fundamentally cannot have right now. And it's for our own safety that we can't have it. And so I was wondering for you guys, how do you feel about the actual quality of the college experience that you're receiving right now? And also the quality of the education you're receiving? Because I think something I've personally noticed is that there's been a lot of calls for colleges to lower both the expenses and fees that they're charging students, whether that be for tuition or things like housing. And so I was curious if, if you guys agree with that call, uh, with those demands. So um, Liz, let's go throw it back to you and go back in reverse order this time. Okay. Yeah, this, this, is, this is such a tough, it's just such a tough question, such a tough situation because, so for example, my college, um, I'm not home by choice. Our college, like our campus has closed. We're having everything um, online and off campus unless you have, um, like unless you're an international student or have a housing need uh and to me like this is just this isn't the the problem for individual colleges to solve right this is the societal issue of exorbitant education costs just recycling themselves in a new way because like I go to a small liberal arts college in a really like rural area I understand that they don't have the financial leeway right now to be making these big concessions and to be making these decisions in a recession not only a pandemic uh, I like to think they're doing what they can, but what they can do is, is limited, and I understand that. Uh, to prevent ridiculous tuition costs in a pandemic would mean going back in time and preventing ridiculous tuition costs in any time. And that's not a problem for these individual colleges to fix, and it's certainly not a problem for them to fix right now. It's a national problem, it's a national solution, and that we needed a long time ago. 
And so for right now, in terms of quality of education, I'm just sincerely hoping that my fall classes will be better than the spring because of um, more time to prepare for professors and for myself. And overall, I'm just hoping this will be a catalyst for, for reigniting a new aspect of the education cost conversation in the U.S. because it's not something you fix in a crisis. It's something that needs to be a priority. Awesome. And Amy, do you want to take over? Sure. So um, contrasting a little bit to Liz's experience, Amelia and I both go to a big urban school that's very densely populated. Um, So the social aspect is, I mean, extremely important, of course, in any college, but especially because we're right in the middle of a city. Um, The majority of students live off campus. There's definitely a big social aspect that I think will still be there, which is definitely a large concern of mine because I'm afraid that people won't take precautions seriously and then begin kind of an outbreak immediately as soon as we return to campus. Um, In terms of like education, I think that it's definitely different. I obviously don't know what the fall is really going to look like because some of the classes are in person, some of them are online. Um, Like Liz was saying, again, the preparation time I think is really key here. I'm hoping that professors will use this, have used this time wisely to prepare for any situation. Um, And hopefully the education quality will be, you know, different, but maybe not necessarily lower than it was in the spring. Um, um, The only thing I'm really concerned about is like many of the classes that I am taking this semester are heavily conversational, which can be difficult to conduct in an online setting because, you know, there aren't as many social cues online as there are in person. Um, And a lot of them also require like a professor's assistance. So these classes are now virtual. So I think those adjustments will be a little bit difficult to initially have and then also to maintain. But obviously, we'll see what happens when we get back into the swing of things. But for now, it's just kind of a waiting process. And Ramadan, do you want to go ahead? Yes, I think I definitely agree with Liz on this one. I uh, do think that generally college college tuition fees are extremely exorbitant and they should be reduced uh, a lot significantly. And But I think that demanding that right now in the middle of a recession is a big ask and a lot of universities will not be able to afford that uh, be- because of the financial uh burdens that they have to shoulder at this moment in time. Uh, but I do think that once the consequences of the current recession are over, we can definitely demand for a reduction in college fees, college tuition fees. I don't even think I can imagine how much money for years of college tuition is like, which is, <laughs> it's just hard. So yeah, uh, in terms of the social aspect, I do think it's, uh, heavily compromised. I think I, I haven't been able to uh, conduct meaningful interactions online or virtually. And I think uh, the idea of making new friends or like uh, keeping in touch with your friends only virtually is really compromises the idea of like a strong friendship and like a good social life. So yeah, uh, social life is compromised and cost tuition fees are as high as ever. 
I definitely agree with everything you guys just said. And I think you all brought up this really great point that the pandemic isn't the only problem that we're going through right now. Like it is tipped off. Like it's really just a microcosm of all of these problems that have been manifesting and accumulating for like decades upon centuries at this point, because it's not just the pandemic that's happening. It's an economic recession. We're also in the middle of one of the most historical presidential elections in American history. We're going through this huge moment of confronting the racism that's been embedded in our society since 1619. And so, and there's like a hundred of other things that are happening right now that are all just rapidly, rapidly changing. And I think one of the benefits of quarantining has been that it's given us this undistracted environment to really confront these problems and look within ourselves to figure out what we can actually do to fix them and address them and make meaningful systemic changes. And so I wanted to ask you guys, as we look ahead to what's going to happen in the aftermath of quarantining and this pandemic and how we're going to grow from COVID-19, how do you think that this moment and the things that we've all learned during this time period from both the pandemic and all of the other movements are happening that are happening right now, how do you think that that will affect our generation's reform agenda and the things that we seek to change in the social justice landscape as we prepare to graduate and enter the workforce and unions and political offices and things like that. So um, Amy, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you were saying, I think that we have had a lot of like undistracted time to, you know, learn a lot more about these systemic problems that we've been having for centuries. Um, and because of that, we've become more aware of uh, ourselves and how we need to become more active citizens and sort of work towards change. Um, I know that at my university, at least, I'm really hoping that Temple students, which, you know, Temple kind of preaches this idea of diversity while also simultaneously gentrifying the surrounding neighborhood and allowing students to sort of trash the neighborhood. I'm just hoping that students will become more respectful in that sense and realize that you know, their black and brown neighbors have been there for a lot longer than they have. And North Philadelphia is more than just a cheap place to live. Um, and I'm also hoping that students, because right now, obviously, college is the time for us to sort of learn and figure out what it is that we want to do and how we want to change the world. Um, I'm hoping that people will start to realize, you know, here are the things that I can do to become a more active citizen, a better person, someone who can create real systemic change and kind of foster this idea in my university and my surrounding area. Um, and, you know, as cheesy as it sounds in the world. And Ramadan, do you want to answer next? For sure. Uh, I think during the shutdown and after the pandemic, I have seen a lot of small communities going together to make a lot of good. And I've seen a lot of people trying to help one another, but I am, not hopeful at all that things are going to change. I think uh, giving the, I'm, I'm also looking at this from a very outsider perspective. I'm an international student, so take my words with a grain of salt. Uh, um, I think of of the, the, what I'm seeing right now is a lot of people are thinking, uh, gather around your leader in a crisis. And I think this is a very, uh, hurtful mentality to hold before the elections. And I do believe that reform changes are not going to happen unless Democrats run the current 2020 election. And I think uh, if things remain the way they currently are, things are not going to change in the next decade, at least. 
so yeah, it's 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 a little bit depressing, but I don't think things are going to change. And Liz, do you have any final thoughts on this topic? I think that everything that's been said is incredibly valuable and and very accurate. Um, and just to kind of tack on kind of, I guess, like what I've taken away and what I hope that other people have taken away of these like months of reflection is that there's an opportunity to really contemplate and, and act on the ways that inequality um, exists in every aspect of our, of our individual lives and to specialize the ways that we focus our action. So for example, like for me, um, I study economics. I aspire to be a health economist. I have an internship right now with um, an organization that focuses on women's health research and um, equity. And I think that for me, like it, it makes the most sense. Sorry, I'm not saying this very well, but for me, I've had an interesting opportunity to really specialize, specialize the ways in which I observe the inequalities in the things that I directly interact with, meaning that since I'm trying to be so involved with healthcare and with health policy and health economics, um, I've been able to open my eyes to the ways in which disparities are reflected in every single aspect of the health system. Um, and to just use that as a driver for, for my future and how I plan to use like my positions of privilege and my positions of ability um, and action to, to hopefully change some of those things, even if, it's in small ways or for small, small groups of people. And I think that everyone has those areas of specialization in their own lives that they can reflect on and, and act within. Great. I definitely relate to all the points that you guys just made. And as we begin to wind this discussion down today, I wanted to ask, um, I don't want to I'm, I don't want to seem as if we're straying into this idea of like boiling college students back down to one voice, but I'm curious for you guys as individual students, if you could summarize how you're feeling right now in one emotion, what would it be and why? And so um, let's see who to start off with. Ramadan, do you want to start this one? Sure. Uh, I'd say I'm feeling very anxious and a little bit excited but I'm also uh, really afraid that things are not going to go well or as well as I want them to be. And Amy, do you want to go next? So something that I've been focusing on a lot is my concern for pretty much everything that's happening at the moment. So I think that like the feeling of being concerned is often paired with something else. So you can be concerned, but you can also be upset about a situation. You can be concerned and also very angry about a situation Um, And I think that college students are, you know, very concerned about the current political climate, like what's going to happen in this upcoming election and what's happening in terms of our systemic inequalities that we were just talking about. Um, Concern for our colleagues' safety, whether it's at work, whether it's fellow students or roommates, friends, family, things like that. Um, And then also concerned about, you know, school classes, uh, tuition, living spaces, just things like that. There are just a lot of things for us to be worried about, concerned about at the moment. And Liz, do you want to close things out? I think I'm going to take the kind of the inverse of what Amy just said um, and say that my, my primary emotion, I guess, is that I'm angry at the lack of concern um, because it's just difficult to understand how months have gone by and the United States is consistently the worst in this particular crisis and that the United States is consistently the worst in preventable and solvable issues that 
like to me it just it just seems like it boils down to people not caring about people and I don't know how else to feel except angry about that and want to change that because it costs lives it costs well-being it costs everything and if that doesn't make you angry I like I don't know what does thank you guys all for sharing your thoughts on this I think like you said Liz that we if there's one thing that we can do in order to like garner the concern that we need in this moment right now it's to keep sharing our opinions and keep taking whatever platform for advocacy we can in this moment to raise awareness for how how as many individual perspectives as we can because that's the only way that we're truly going to get to the heart of this pandemic and understand all of the different intricacies that we need to really address right now and figure out how to move forward from so thank you guys again for sharing this today and for being part of this episode. And Adina, do you have any final concluding thoughts here as we wind things down? As I think about your last question, Amelia, and what's that one word or phrase, and I could certainly say I agree with three phrases. Yes, I feel anxious and I feel concerned and I feel angry about many of the things that you've mentioned. And I would want to add the word here of hopeful because nobody could listen to all three of your voices and not feel hopeful about who the younger gener- who this generation is and what they bring to the table, the thoughtfulness that you have about the issues, about the way you're leading your lives, the way you're looking at how other people are treated and what's appropriate for them. And so I want to add into that mix, not to, not to, um, overtake any of those because I feel all of those things, but anyone listening would have to also say hopeful that um, the voices that are rising are powerful, strong, poignant, and purposeful. And I'm really grateful to have had all of you on the show this week. Thank you for sharing so much about your experience and so honestly. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. And I want to thank also Amelia on such an amazing job well done on this podcast. And for everyone who's listening, you know, whether you have a college age student yourself, whether you have a younger child who's not yet reached that point, or perhaps a child who's already passed, but to invite everyone to listen in, to invite your children to listen in and to listen with them and have perhaps use this as a place to spark conversation about what is important what does each person think and how can each person in the family express his or her voice going forward about the things that matter most? How can you get curious on this path of wondering, you know, wondering about what's happening, wondering about where you fit into it, wondering about how you can have a voice and propel things forward. So my invitation to listeners, keep wondering your way to brilliant, as we say, and continue to listen to the voices of those who are younger who perhaps can inspire us with some hope for a brighter future. And we will be back again next week Next week, with a continuation episode, not a continuation of this, but continuing to wonder our way to brilliant on a new episode. And thanks one more time to our amazing guests and our amazing host, Amelia. And we know we'll be hearing more from her in the future. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to experience the full game-changing potential of the questions we explore, be sure to add your name to our mailing list at www.couragetobecurious.com. Our subscribers receive weekly notification of the podcast along with specific tools for using these questions on a daily and weekly basis to create positive and powerful impact. 
As always, the questions we explore on the podcast can be found in our Live, Lead, and Love with the Courage to be Curious card decks that are available at liveleadlovecourageously.com. And if you're interested in harnessing the power of productive curiosity for your company or organization, contact us about scheduling a professional development experience. In the meantime, keep wondering your way to brilliance.